I got off to a uh, got off on the wrong foot here today a little bit, and I forgot to warn you about a change in the bulletin that uh, where you participate. Sing praise to the Lord. That's part of a, a longer piece, and I, if we learn this uh, up toward Easter, we'll sing the whole uh, thing, which is not about three verses, uh, but it's new and a little different. So I hope you take this home with you and practice it. And uh, you'll learn a new piece. Uh, so will I. But anyway, the, um, this is particularly geared for Easter. So we will, we will go with that for a while. James. James of the Scriptures. His letter has a wonderful saying in it. And... Um, he says it at a time when the church is being persecuted. And in his first chapter, in verses 2 and 3, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, wherever you face, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Peter also mentions trials and their value. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now, I quote those two because the biblical authors do not envision a life free of problems and trials. Let me say that again. The biblical writers do not envision a life in this world, free of suffering and trials. Now, this is in sharp contrast to what we expect. And I speak for myself. This is in sharp contrast to what we expect out of life. We expect to go sailing through. And many of us, when we hit some rough spots in life, we we don't cope very well because we are not armed, if you will, to take on the difficulty or the trial. But the biblical authors remind us that this, in fact, is the way the world works. Now, I don't know how Christians are or how they think in other places where there is great persecution, and there is. We sit here in great comfort, let me tell you. Uh, that uh, reading the news that I read, uh, there is tremendous suffering in Christian communities around the world. I've been praying especially for Christians, as you know, in Egypt. I've also added Nigeria to my list for what's going on there. Christians who meet together simply to pray uh, may have uh, a near lunatic fringe mob attack them and burn their church down while they're praying simply because they're there praying as Christians. Trials, they are sure to come, says James. Now, there is one great trial in the Bible outside of the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ that I want to bring forward to you today, and that is the trial that Abraham and Isaac underwent. In fact, in our little gathering last night, someone happened to mention this uh, in an offhanded way. It is 
a story of great significance. And here we find the model for our faith, Abraham, undergoing a trial, which means that it is for us. So in this life, we are not free from trials and temptations. That's simply not the case. If we look at Genesis 22, there you will find Abraham's greatest trial and maybe the greatest trial or temptation episode that anyone experienced in biblical history outside of our Lord himself. And the reason that this trial or this temptation that he underwent is so great because it has to do with his beloved son of promise. And so he is going to be tested Abraham is to be a blessing to the nations, and that whole promise that God gave to him is going to be put on the line once again. Will he pass the test? Abraham probably then went through a great deal, as Soren Kierkegaard in his famous work, Fear and Trembling, tries to describe what he thinks are the psychological aspects of his suffering. Well, let us look at the text, the situation. And it's interesting how it begins. I want you to notice how it begins. Sometimes later, says the scripture, sometimes later, it means that some time has passed by. It means that this is not connected to anything immediately. But sometimes later, God tested Abraham and he said to him. Now, I want to point out something that is in Hebrew. It's a, a grammatical construction. There's very little grammar in Hebrew in one sense in the ancient text, not like there is in Greek. But it is significant that the word or name of God comes before everything else. It means that the emphasis is upon God. So God is doing this. And whatever follows is at God's command. And so God tests Abraham. And he says to him, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Now, we don't know where Moriah is. There may be a possibility from First Chronicles, uh, I think it's in First or Second Chronicles, where this could be Jerusalem. But really, we don't know where Moriah is. It's only really mentioned here in this way, even though it appears to be mentioned a second time. So he says, go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. Take him to one of the mountains I will tell you about. Now, notice the construction. It's at God's command. So I'm going to say a few things here that maybe you don't hear when you've heard sermons on this. Let me say what this is not. This story is not a story about the ending of human sacrifice. If this were the case, God would not be up front driving the story. But God is in the place of emphasis. Now, it is true that human sacrifices took place all around Abraham. He was quite familiar with the brutal and awful uh, practice of human sacrifice. 
And human sacrifice has been practiced around the world. It still is in some places, believe it or not. But it is not a story just simply to deal with the ending of human sacrifice. That kind of takes away, if you will, from the role that God has. Because God commands him to go. Let me say what else this is not. This is not a psychological study. Oh, it is quite sure that Soren Kierkegaard does a tremendous job in describing, no doubt, what possibly went through Abraham's mind. The fear and the trembling. And it is for sure that when we go through trials, we are tested often when we are most weak. And we're tested to the extreme and we wonder if we will survive. That truly brings psychological uh, suffering, fear, trembling. We know what fear is. Fear is an emotion that can freeze us in life. And our fears can keep us from accomplishing things in life or doing things in life. Fear is a very real emotion that we all face. No doubt Abraham experienced all of these things and he had to overcome them. But did you notice the text doesn't really say one word about his psychological state? Not one. Doesn't even hint what his psychological state was. We can guess at it, surely being fully human, we can understand and sympathize with him. Uh, let me also say that this is not something that you will be called to do. You will never be put in the place of Father Abraham. This is unique to him. It's sui generis. One of a kind temptation for him. And because that is the case, it has particular significance in the history of salvation. His one and only son, who else was called the one and only son? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Who's called the beloved son, the one whom you love? You know, that's when suffering and trials really begin, when something is on the line that affects your deepest love, isn't it? Your one and only son. So what is this story about? It is the trial that Abraham had to go through to see, in fact, if he feared God and would indeed be that one who would be faithful to God so that God would carry out his promises through him. Look at the story. Take your only son to Mount Moriah, Isaac. Uh, we can speculate here about how old Isaac is. He's big enough to carry the wood. He is big enough to carry the wood. I don't know how old he was. He probably was big enough and strong enough to thwart his father, who was an aged man. And so there is something here to be said for Isaac. He too consents in this. Now that's filial allegiance, isn't it? And he too must have been trusting God. There is no question about it. He took the wood. Abraham took the two dangerous things, the fire and the knife. They left their servants and donkey behind and they went up to the mount. And so there they go, an aged man and a young man. And that then is when the temptation truly began 
when he went up the mount. This is a real thing. He is going through with this. Now, remember who Isaac is. He is the son of Abraham and Sarah. Three times in the scriptures we find that either Abraham or Sarah laughed over the prospect of having a child in their old age. When he was born, Sarah was 90 years of age and Abraham was 100. Inconceivable, isn't it? In more ways than one. And how could this happen? Well, it did. How cherished would he have been? How much they had set their hearts upon him. There is one Jewish midrash that's quite informative. A Jewish midrash is a saying in Jewish tradition. It is said that when Abraham and Sarah returned home, she knew what was up. She knew what was going on. And when they walked through the door, she saw her son Isaac and she cried out six times and dropped dead. Could not believe her eyes. Now, of course, that's not a great achievement, I suppose, for a woman who's over 100 years old. Her heart was probably fragile. Tongue in cheek here. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Don't you know they had their hearts set on him? Don't you know how important he was to them? The one you love, God says to them. You know, trials are trials because they hit you at your most vulnerable spot. Oh, if trials were easy. If we could go through things that we can handle. We don't always go through things that we can handle by ourselves. He's the son of promise. He's the one that through him the nations will be blessed. God gave the promise to Abraham, but it will be passed down to Isaac and to Jacob and to the tribes of Israel who finally will produce our Lord Jesus Christ. And so they go up the mount. All of this in his mind, no doubt. The covenant blessings are at stake. And so Isaac asked a simple question to his father. And it shows, I believe, that he's already suspects what's going on. He says to his father, where is the sacrifice? What does Abraham say? What he says is not a lie. What he says, though, shows his struggle. What he says to him is absolutely theologically true. God will provide. Now, here's a man that sees no way out, but he is still trusting the Lord. Have you ever been in the midst of a problem and you see absolutely no way out of it? Have you ever been put in a situation where it seems it's inevitable. Things are going just simply one direction. And you're a Christian and you're hanging on to the promises of God. And you say to yourself something like this. God, I hope you will provide. 
Give me the strength. I can't see through this. I can remember my mother as a small child saying that. And uh, it stuck in my mind that uh, God will provide. We don't know how. And that would be her prayer. Notice the simplicity of the story, though. I am absolutely struck by it. There is no adornment to this story. There is nothing in it to, to, to uh, if you will, add gingerbread to it to make it uh, uh, light and easy to digest. There's nothing there. There seems to be no color to it. It is a stark contrast going up the mountain and sacrificing your son. And of course, God did provide. He spoke from heaven. The angel of the Lord stopped his hand. And a ram was provided. Uh, wouldn't it be a wonderful, if you will, excursus to think about how relieved Abraham was? Isn't it amazing? Well, how does this apply to you and to me? Well, let me reiterate again. You will not go through this kind of trial. God will never ask you to sacrifice one of your children. This is unique. It is particularly designed to further salvation history. It's in God's providence and design. But trials you know very well and every trial that you go through tells you two things. It tells you something about who you are. And it tells you something about who God is. Every time you go through a trial or a great temptation in life, and every temptation is a trial, it will tell you a lot about what you're made of. You really don't know what you're made of until you get to the place where the trial takes place. There's an awful lot of talk today coming from New England and from New York concerning this great Sunday called Super Bowl Sunday. A lot of bravado, a lot of trash talking. And it's fun to play sports, but not nearly as much fun if you can also trash talk at the same time. It's a fun thing. It's a great enterprise. And if you've ever played sports, you know how much fun it is. A lot of it. But when on the field it is settled, there'll be some winners and losers. That is a kind of trial. But trials also remind you of who God is. Abraham was a better man. Isaac was a better man after having gone through this trial. They knew what they were made of, but also they knew of God's provision for them. Every trial takes you deeper, if I can put it this way, into the deep, mysterious way of God's dealings. We understand God's providence a little better. And we see how he is dealing. Trials remind you, though, all trials of this nature remind you that your final destiny is not this world. You know why we can't handle trials very well? We, we, actually, we actually psychologically think this world is it. 
Abraham was a man who was a sojourner. Remember that it said he had to go from his homeland and leave him behind. Now he has gone and now he gets another go. Go to Mount Moriah and now he's going to lose a child. Do you think that he settled on this world and his promise only? Was that taking him to a different plane, a different understanding? It was taking him deeper and deeper into his relationship with the Lord. It was reminding him that his home is with the Lord and he will not be entirely fulfilled until he finds his fulfillment in that one who reigns above. Trials call us deeper and deeper into the Lord. Life is a trial. Everything that happens to us in one sense is a trial. Some of them are light and we can learn to have joy in them. But the true and deepest way that we learn who God is to have joy in the deepest trials of life. So I would say simply arm yourself. I love what the Proverbs say. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Praise be to God, who will not leave us to our own devices, but see us through. Amen.